Blaze On Demand. This is Ben Weingarten of The Blaze Books, and today I'm joined by the chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media and author of the new book, Money, How the Destruction of the Dollar Threatens the Global Economy and What We Can Do About It, Steve Forbes. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Ben. Thank you. Steve, right now the world is imploding. The Arab Spring has quickly turned into an Arab winter. Russia is revanchist and clearly on the march. And so foreign policy is really dominating the front pages of the news, though the economy remains ever prominent in the background for Americans. Why should folks feel compelled to read a book about gold, the gold standard, economics, and money today? Well, taking off of uh, what you said about foreign policy, uh, when the United States is perceived as weak, uh, bad things happen around the world. We saw that most dramatically in the 1930s during the Great Depression, severe economic crisis, civilization nearly unraveled. We saw it again in the 1970s when the U.S. seemed to be suffering from malaise, a terrible inflation. People thought our best days were over. You saw uh, the world, uh, the bad guys are uh, moving ahead. Hard to believe today, but the Soviet Union was on the march. Uh, the fundamentalist uh, fanatics took over in Iran. Other countries uh, fell to uh, pro-communist regimes. Uh, Central America was under assault, and we seem to be a helpless giant. So when uh, things don't go well here at home, it's not only bad for us, but also uh, bad for uh, bad for the world. And one of the things that we're experiencing today is that our standard of living doesn't seem to be moving very far ahead. Uh, we all know median incomes are stagnating. People are very worried about the future, wondering whether the next generation will have a chance to really move ahead. And uh, one of the things about the uh, gold standard is when you're on a gold standard, average growth rates over time are much higher than what we're experiencing today. If, uh, you know, as you know, we went off the gold standard in, 19, in the early 1970s, had a terrible decade, did okay in the 80s and 90s, and the last uh, 15 years have been pretty bad or certainly stagnant. And if uh, we had had if we had experienced the growth rates that we had when we had a gold standard, which we did for 180 years, our economy today would be 50 percent larger, over eight trillion dollars bigger. And uh, just ponder that for a moment. Uh, we'd still have complaints in life, depending on what uh, baseball team you're rooting for. But uh, in, uh, the, the world would be a lot better place. Social Security wouldn't be under assault. We wouldn't be facing these deficits. And uh, that's what happens. You get subpar growth when you don't have sound money. And sort of the converse of that is we've seen in recent years, and you talk about at length in this book, the Occupy Movement and Thomas Piketty's book, which we've focused on uh, in, in multiple articles on the Blaze there's sort of a decoupling of the real economy from the financial economy fueled by the Fed. And actually, you see, and the Austrian economists talk about this, that the financial services sector has benefited. Basically, the Fed papered over private debts. And so, sort of in a perverse sense, the economic mercantilism of the Fed has fueled, quote-unquote, inequality of economic outcomes. Well, what happens when you don't have stable money is you suddenly need uh, uh, the services, so to speak, of uh, exotic financial instruments, uh, currency insurance and the like. 
when we had a gold standard, currency trading was uh, very, very limited because most uh, major currencies were fixed to one another. Uh, today, the volume of currency trading around the world is larger on a daily basis than the trading for stocks and bonds. Uh, currency trading is now over $3.2 trillion a day. Tens of thousands of the best minds in the world are focused on uh, currency trading, currency hedging, and the like. And just ponder for a moment if those brains were going to providing traditional new products and services, uh, tr uh, doing uh, research in the new medicines to conquer diseases like cancer. So uh, the, 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 these things uh, not only misdirect money, but they also misdirect uh, brain power. Right, and that human capital, of course, you can also look at all of the tax and regulatory lawyers that would be put out of business were we not to have the hyper-regulatory regime that we have. Well, what happens when uh, money is weakened, uh, the private sector gets the blame and the government uh, gets bigger and bigger. And we, uh, they, they don't let any crisis go to waste. They uh, bring about a disaster, blame the private sector, and the government uh, takes on more powers as a result. And in your book, you talk about all of these themes. What are the one or two takeaways that readers, both those who cl closely focus on monetary policy and for the novice, will walk away with from your book? Well, money is simply a means of making it easier for us to buy and sell with each other, which is the only way we get a higher standard of living. Uh, let's say you want to bake a cake and sell a cake. You have to buy the ingredients, eggs, flour, sugar, uh, utensils. You have to buy the oven. You have to buy, uh, pay for transportation and all that sort of thing. And that requires a, a buying and selling. And if you make it difficult for people to trade with one another, one thing about money is that it makes it easy for strangers to do uh, transactions with each other. But money for money to work, you need a stable value like you do uh, uh, with, with time, 60 minutes in an hour. Imagine if the time clock fluctuated the way the dollar did. You have 40 minutes an hour one day, 60 minutes the next, 20, day, 20 minutes an hour the day after. It would be chaotic. Imagine baking that cake if you had to try to figure out. It says bake it for 40 minutes. Is that nominal minutes, inflation-adjusted minutes, or whatever? But going beyond economics... When you have unstable money, when the politicians fool around with it, we have a chapter in the book called Money and Morality, and it talks about how uh, when you uh, trash money, you end up trashing the social order. When people can't trust the money, they cease to trust each other. It undermines social trust. Uh, and uh, as Keynes pointed out with Lenin, not one in a million understand what is going on, but uh, people feel Honest efforts, not rewarded anymore. Cronyism is the way you get ahead. Uh, and when you have that kind of feeling that you have to live for today because there isn't much of a tomorrow, uh, that makes for uh, really, uh, really strains the bonds of society, as we see in other countries where they do this all the time. And to that end, there's a great quote in the book from Theodore Dalrymple, which I believe is a pseudonym of a British author. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the quote is that, the debasement of currency, quote, corrodes the character of the people. So there's this link between social order and sound money. A philosophical question for you. In your view, does a weak currency 
reflect the values of a society or does it sort of undermine the values of society? In other words, is a weak currency a causation or correlation when it comes to how stable a society is and a society's values? It is, is more of a cause than a reflection uh, because uh, people don't uh, usually uh, – most people, economists might, but most people don't uh, choose to have uh, lose the value of their money. Um, you know, if you have, even if you have a, a two percent inflation rate, that means a typical American family would pay a thousand dollars a year more for food and fuel and other essentials of life. So uh, uh, when it happens, people are caught off guard by it. They don't understand it. You know, prices are very, very important, uh, a source of information about what we want, what we don't want, what we value, what we don't value. And if you uh, have uh, weak money, that's like a virus in a computer. It corrupts the information. So you can't trust prices anymore. You saw a classic example in the 70s and recently. Uh, oil in the 70s suddenly went from $3 a barrel to almost $40 a barrel which would normally tell you that meant oil was we're running out of it, that it was in scarce supply. No, it turned out to be a reflection of a weak dollar, but billions of dollars were invested on the idea we were running out of this stuff. Then when Reagan conquered inflation in the early 1980s, oil crashed from almost $40 a barrel to $10 a barrel before stabilizing at $20 to $25. Uh, which where it stayed for 15 years till the early part of the last decade. Now, where is oil today? $100, $110, $95? And how much of that is supply and demand, and how much of that is just uh, reflecting uh, the inherent weakness of the dollar? And talk about the housing bubble of the last decade. That was pure and simple, a, uh, what happened when you have a weak dollar. For all of the flaws we had with Freddie and Fannie and all the other crazy things Washington did, we never would have had a bubble of that size if the Federal Reserve had kept a stable dollar. Now, despite the common sense of all of these arguments, opponents will say a couple things. They will argue that the gold standard is outdated. As you talk to in the book, opponents of the gold standard will say that the gold standard was the cause of the Great Depression. And they'll also say that the gold standard isn't flexible enough, which was one of the re one of the reasons given when the Federal Reserve was created in 1913 in the first place. So it's tough to prove a hypothetical of if we had had the gold standard, X, Y, Z would not have happened. But w what is the greatest example, in your view, of the efficacy of the gold standard working in the United States? Well, put aside all those myths, which is what they are. Just look at the record of the United States from the 1790s when we went on a gold standard. We did so in the aftermath of the hyperinflation we experienced during our Revolutionary War. Look at our record from 1791 to the early 1970s when we went from a small East Coast nation, underpopulated, and uh, then within a, a century we had become the greatest industrial nation in the world, and, uh, and and then uh, became uh, a nation that uh, was extremely innovative. And so uh, if the gold standard was so terrible, how was it that we outpaced in growth every other single nation on earth? And since we went off a gold standard, we have done uh, not as well as we did when we were on it. And that 180-year period when we were on the gold standard, you had a civil war, you had a Great Depression, other depressions, 
You had two world wars, and despite all that volatility, we vastly outpaced the rest of the world. Now, obviously, there are other factors at work, clearly, but uh, sound money is crucial. Remember, the only way we get ahead is by trading, selling, buying and selling with each other. Uh, that's how we get innovations. And if, you, uh, have, if money can't be trusted, then we get more uh, money going into hard assets as a uh, defensive measure and less, and less money going into the things that are today unseen but become tomorrow's commonplaces. And pretty much universally, all presidents probably for the last hundred years have argued for a strong dollar, while most of them have pushed for a weaker dollar. Obviously, they can't directly do it, but, of course, who a president chooses to chair the Federal Reserve is, is hugely significant. Is there any incentive, in your view, for any politician to actually push for a Fed that ensures a sound dollar when it's a weak dollar, which enables government profligacy and allows the government to pay back its debts in a devalued currency. Well, this is where the old admonition, the old warning, liberty requires eternal vigilance. If uh, we the people don't hold our political leaders to the standards that we used to hold them to, uh, they're not going to perform as well as they have, have done before. And the amazing thing is, uh, the more powerful government becomes, the weaker the economy becomes. And uh, politicians who profess to love the people end up doing policies that hurt people, especially those who start life with the least. And uh, that's, uh, that's why we have to insist on honest money, sound money, just as we want 60 minutes in an hour, 12 inches in a foot. We need a fixed value of money. And this is not something that's new in our history. It's been the was what we did for uh, almost two centuries. And I think in the years ahead, people will see, and that's one reason why we wrote this book, was to uh, make the case for uh, sound money again so that people have a chance to uh, get better jobs, start new businesses, as Abraham Lincoln put it, improve your lot in life. And uh, the thing about money is that it's a very simple subject. We, we try to do in this book what Toto did in the movie, The Wizard of Oz, and that is tear away the curtain and expose the fraud of modern economics. And one of the most fraudulent aspects of the Fed's intervention in its, in its enlightenment and, and wisdom, as you talk about in the book, is the policy of quantitative easing, QE. You make the case in the book that quantitative easing was actually more of a disaster than the Obamacare rollout, but the press universally ignored it. Make that case to us. Well, uh, quantitative easing is a fancy word for uh, the Federal Reserve, in effect, buying up uh, the government debt. Uh, most of the new bonds, long-term bonds, issued by the government in the last four or five years ended up in the hands of the Federal Reserve. And uh, what that meant was for the government, because the Federal Reserve suppressed interest rates like price controls, the government found it very easy to uh, borrow, a sort of deficit without tears. Large companies found it easy to borrow, but small and new businesses, which are the job creators in the economy, had a difficult time getting adequate credit. And we still see those conditions prevailing today, less bad than they were two or three years ago, but still a barrier today, which is why we have this punk economy. 
which shows signs of life, but never can seem to uh, get in the kind of uh, routine, fast-growing routine that uh, we've done in the past. So in other words, if you were to encounter a Keynesian, if you were to talk to a Paul Krugman who would say, look, none of the hysterical predictions of a run on the currency or hyperinflation or hyperdeflation or anything else have come true, what you would say is that the price that we've paid for all these interventions is effectively stagnation and probably crushing human capital. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. And one of the things when you mess with your money is the symptoms aren't always the same. In the early 1930s, as the Depression took hold, uh, numerous countries, including the United States, uh, engaged in uh, major devaluations. That didn't result in a shoot-up in the consumer price index, but it sure stood in the way of uh, recovering from that uh, terrible slump. Uh, in the last decade, uh, the consumer price index, assuming uh, it's an accurate reflection, and it isn't quite, but uh, it didn't have the kind of uh, rise that it had in the 70s. But instead, uh, we saw this horrible bubble in housing, which ended up destroying hundreds of billions of dollars of capital. So uh, with the, to the Krugmans of the world, you have to, they have to answer the question, why has this been the worst, worst recovery from a sharp downturn in American history? Why are we like a baseball player who should be batting normally 330, 350, batting 220, 240, maybe getting it up to 250. And don't say this crisis was the worst in American history. The Depression was far worse. And in the 1980s, when Reagan took over, our banking system was in a lot worse shape than it was in 2008. It was policy mistakes in 2008, 2009 that turned something that was pretty bad into something that we still can't shake ourselves from today six years later. And you'll note that this this collapse of the economy and the stagnancy has basically followed the collapse of the Mets. So uh, <laughs> there has to be some correlation there. Well, there is because, uh, well, the Mets, as you, we know, the owners got hit with the Madoff fraud and uh, didn't have the resources to uh, pour into the team that they should have. Two more quick questions for you, and you've been very generous with your time. The first is, if you were to inherit Janet Yellen's seat tomorrow, what would a Steve Forbes gold standard look like? Ah, we can dream uh, what it would look like. And ultimately, what I think would will look like is you would uh, establish over several months so that people could get uh, used to the new regime, uh, like we did for 180 years, uh, you would establish a fixed price of the dollar to gold. Gold is, in this case, like a ruler. You know, 12 inches in a foot doesn't restrict the size of the house you build. It just means that uh, the foot has a, is a fixed measure of length. So you'd fix the uh, dollar to gold. Let's call it $1,300 an ounce. All it would mean under a gold standard is if uh, the price went above $1,300, uh, you would stop uh, creating money, stop creating reserves. It went below 1300 you create more money. In short, you let the marketplace dictate what the needs of the market are instead of bureaucrats in Washington trying to guess at it. It is, in essence, very simple. And that's why, again, uh, the modern economists have covered their discipline with all of these exotic equations and jargon and seemingly uh, great laws and axioms. It's all 
well, let's use a French word, BS, uh, most <laughs> of it. And, and your system would not preclude private private institutions from competing against government currency, correct? That would be a safeguard. Uh, one safeguard would be the government would be obliged, if you turn your dollars in for gold, to give you the gold at that, say, $1,300 an ounce. And the other safeguard would be to remove the barriers to alternative currencies. If you and, uh, and I got together and we decided to create our own currency, we should be able to do so and uh, not get a, get arrested, as can happen today. And uh, I think that would be a safeguard. Uh, people normally don't go to alternative currencies except out of desperation. So uh, the government would know that if it abused uh, its currency, people would find an easy way out. In other words, the market keeps the government in check. Which the government does not like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Clinton, well, Bill Clinton famously uh, did not enjoy the bond traders when he was in office. <laughs> That's true. We use that quote in the book from uh, James Carville. Uh, but uh, Clinton, amazingly, whatever you may think of him, his administration was uh, treated the dollar better than the administrations of George W. Bush and uh, Barack Obama. Now, Steve, last question for you to end on a sunny note. Uh, there was an article out recently, I believe on Zero Hedge, which compiled some quotes from a number of famed and very successful money managers from George Soros to Stan Druckenmiller to Sam Zell, a couple others, I believe, as well, uh, all universally basically arguing that there are a lot of bearish signs in the economy today. In your view, where do you see the economy in six months, 12 months, a couple years out? I think the economy will be better, although we're not going to have the breakout that we're capable of. But I think uh, the elections this November, especially the elections of 2016, you're going to see a merge, a mandate for making a radical change in our tax code. I know of several potential candidates who are coming up with proposals on that. And I think you're going to see start to see a real discussion to lay the foundations for restoring integrity and strength to the dollar. And I think the American people instinctively understand that you cannot have a strong country with a weak currency, a weak dollar. And so I think you're going to start to see the groundwork laid for a strengthening of the dollar, a sensible tax code, a radically simplified one, and a new health care system emerging where the patient is in charge. In short, what we're experiencing now is not a new normal, but an abnormal, new abnormal. It's a detour. It's not the new direction. And uh, we're going to emerge strong again, just as we did in the 80s and 90s. Amen to that. The name of the book is Money, How the Destruction of the Dollar Threatens the Global Economy and What We Can Do About It. The author is Steve Forbes. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. For more on this and other books, you can visit The Blaze Books at www.theblaze.com slash books and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theblazebooks and Twitter at theblazebooks. You can follow me on Twitter at bhweingarten.